You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. One of the uh, features of the story of Joseph, of course, is sibling rivalry. Anybody a participant in sibling rivalry? <laughs> I, I heard a comedian recently uh, linking sibling rivalry with where you are born, the order in which you are born. And this, uh, this girl asked for a show of hands, all the firstborn. She said, now you were born against the backdrop of passion. Uh, you know, your parents really wanted to have you and so you, you, you're very fortunate. And then she said, who are all the secondborns? And people put up their hands. She said, well, you know, some of the passion had gone out of your parents' relationship by the time you were conceived because, and that was because of the behaviour of the first one They just put their hand up. And so you were mainly born primarily as a, a playmate for the first one. And like, it was very distorted, very sarcastic. And then she said, now, we're all the thirdborn. And they put up their hands and said, hmm, not many family photos, right? You know, kind of as you get further down, don't get the old camera out there all that much. The first one, oh. Well, look, you know, in the, in the family of Jacob, uh, there was a lot of sibling rivalry, but it was very one-sided because it was everybody ganging up against the youngest and this was this young fellow, Joseph, 17 years of age when we pick up his story. And look, guys, you can begin to understand why there was so much hatred against Joseph because he was a precocious little guy, but a bit of a smart aleck at 17 and uh, came across in a very annoying sort of way. Um, look, at, look at verse 3. Well, well, first of all, I mean, Jacob, the thing with Jacob is he made, he made the fatal mistake that every parent should avoid. He developed a favourite. And uh, he, he made it clear. That's the thing. That's where he made his mistake. He made it clear. Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his other sons because he'd been born to him when he was old. He made a long robe with full sleeves. And when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than he loved them, they hated their brother so much that they would not speak to him in a friendly manner. So, you see, Jacob, he had this favourite son. And it's okay for parents to have favourites. I mean, like I, I was my mother's favourite, you know. Um, I, I just know that. Uh, my brother and sister keep reminding me of that, firstborn. Um, but um, Jacob, if, if you have a favourite, you've got to be subtle about it, you know, like just keep it low key. But Jacob was, uh, he, was he told the whole, told them everything. And here's the other thing. Um, verse 2 says that, that, that Joseph would tell his father whenever his brothers played up and messed up. You know, like he would send little, uh, Dad, guess what's been happening? Now, anybody had a brother or sister like that? Really annoying when that happens. Uh, we had a little bit of that in our family. Well, the thing that really got up the noses of the brothers was Joseph's tendency to have bizarre dreams. Remember this from your Sunday school days? He, he would dream these incredible Dreams, but then he would go, and these must have been very infuriating to listen to because he had no hesitation to tell people in great detail about the dreams, uh, like the one that was read to us uh, in, in the reading from, from James. You know, he says, Hey guys, guess what? I had this dream, and we're out sort of gathering wheat and we're sort of binding it all up, and then all of a sudden my wheat sheaf stood up really straight, and yours all bowed down. I mean, what would that mean? I mean, and then the other one where yeah, all the moon and the sun and the stars all, all bow down to my star. Whoa, embarrassing. What might that mean? And so these brothers, you know, right. 
So, but, but it was pretty hard to take, but nothing could excuse the plan that was hatched for Joseph. These guys conspired to murder him. Nothing could excuse that. But then there was one of the brothers, Reuben, who had a soft spot for Joseph and he convinced the brothers, not look, don't kill him. Let's just chuck him down a pit. And the idea was he was going to come back and rescue him. That was the plan, see? But when they threw him down the pit, then they saw some passing traders and they looked at the opportunity for a quick dollar, sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver. And then he began a brand new life, albeit as a slave initially, a brand new life in Egypt. Now, guys, this is the background story of a man who in so many ways, particularly from this point on, was treated very, very badly throughout his life uh, by various people. And because of that, when you look at his overall story, Joseph had every reason to be totally disillusioned with life and with humanity. And I mean, this guy had had a pretty rough deal. We'll explain some of that. Yes, as a teenager, he'd made some bad choices. He'd acted inappropriately. But we can feel some sympathy for him. After all, he was the youngest in a family of 12 sons. I mean, imagine sort of fighting for a place at the table, uh, not to mention the difficulties with getting into the bathroom and so on. So he's the youngest. He, he copped a fair bit there, but he had other problems. Here's one of them. Those who should have loved him hated him. That's the first thing. Now, friends, there can be very few situations, and I, I thank God I've not, been, I've not experienced this, but in pastoral ministry, and some of you are immediately going to know what I'm talking about, there can be very few situations more heart-rending and more devastating than when members of one's own family develop deep animosity and even hatred toward you or to somebody in the family. I mean, you see it a lot. Um, significant family moments like funerals and weddings bring it all out. And uh, we in the pastoral ministry, we deal with this sort of thing. And some of you know the pain of this. Um, it, because it continues for some of you and it's been going for years. So that's, that, that's the first thing Joseph had to contend with. And then later in his life, those who should have trusted him accused him. And this is, takes us up to uh, Genesis chapter 39 where Joseph has, has risen to a very prominent position of authority in the home of a guy called Potiphar. Unusual name, wouldn't suggest you select that. Those of you, uh, Sam, uh, Kristen, just I wouldn't no, definitely know. Uh, be careful with biblical names. Potiphar. He was the captain of the palace guard in Egypt, and uh, Joseph gave outstanding service to this man. But the man's wife took a bit of a fancy to Joseph. Good-looking boy. This is MA rating, by the way. This story of Joseph. This is fifteen plus. I've been checking him and have around. I mean, she couldn't have her way with him. He fiercely resisted all of her approaches, but then finally she, she cried rape. And Joseph, without any trial, without any investigation, without any chance to defend himself, flung into prison. And so those who should have trusted him, they accused him. He built up a reputation as a hardworking, loyal, faithful servant. He didn't deserve this. He, had a, he should have had a chance to defend himself. But worse was to follow. Those who knew his worth forgot about him. You get the picture of this guy? He's having a rough time. They abandoned him. We don't know for how long Joseph was in prison, but based on the biblical record, it was probably for many, many years. And, and there's a poignant summary in chapter 40, verse 23, 
something happened. You see, one of the king's butlers was thrown into prison for some, for some reason. And he connected with Joseph. And they developed quite a friendship. And Joseph helped this guy out on a number of occasions, including interpreting one of this guy's bizarre dreams. Joseph was a, really into dreams. You know? This guy had a bizarre dream and Joseph interpreted it and they built quite a, a friendship. Now, then the butler was released. And you'd think he would have said, hey, look, Potiphar, I've been down in, in the dungeon with, with Joseph. Man, we've got to get that guy out. You know, remember him? He's a fantastic guy. He's been so unjustly treated. No chance to defend himself. Let's go and talk to the king. You'd expect the guy would do that. But no, no, no. Chapter 40, verse 23. Look at this. This is sad. But the wine steward never gave Joseph another thought. He forgot all about him. Can you relate to that? Invest heavily in a friendship. Go to great lengths to help a certain person in trouble. Only to find that at your time of need, when you really need them, nowhere to be found. Have you had those kind of experiences? Well, Joseph certainly did. He knew the pain of that. And so, friends, you see that at different points in his life, Joseph must have suffered greatly from what could only be described as severe discouragement and disillusionment. He must have become very, very disheartened with life and with humanity itself. Now, discouragement and disillusionment are two of the most difficult things you and I have to cope with in life. Would you agree? And the people of God are not immune from it. I mean, when Joseph came to be a mature adult, he was a faithful, dynamic servant of God. And yet we see that his journey involved betrayal, false accusation, being abandoned. I'm sure there are people, in fact, I know there are people listening to me now who can identify with one or all of these harsh realities. And uh, with the result that you found yourself at times withdrawing from people. That's what happens sometimes when we're suffering from severe discouragement and disappointment. You find yourself withdrawing from people. You may start to compare your situation with others. Gosh, if only I, you know, if I'd had that sort of upbringing or if I'd, if I was in their circumstances, things would be a lot better. And that can lead to a little bit of jealousy and bitterness. You know how this works. You can indulge in a bit of self-pity. And discouragement has the tendency to just sap us of energy, spiritual, emotional, even physical energy. Friends, these are very natural responses to the pain of discouragement. And if not addressed, if these aren't addressed, we may find ourselves permanently robbed of the joy, the peace, the sense of meaning and purpose that God really wants us to have. He's not a mean God. He wants us to have these things, even despite the hardships. But overall, as a deep quality of life, he wants us to have these to fall back on. Well, what can we learn from Joseph's story? How did he handle severe discouragement? That was what drew me into this story this week because I've had my moments of discouragement as you have. Well, he is a superhero and many things could be said about Joseph. I've identified several. Look at this first one. Joseph refused to be in prison by the pain of the past. Yes, he was in prison physically in, in Egypt, and he could have, but he could have easily become very bitter, very angry. But we find him drawing deeply on his faith in God to release him from any such tendencies. In fact, as a tangible expression of his uh, victory in this area of his life, he gave a name to his firstborn son, 
And the name has special significance. Look at verse 50 of of chapter 41. Before the years of famine came, Joseph had two sons by Asenath. He said, God has made me forget all my sufferings and all my father's family. So he named his first son Manasseh. So obviously Manasseh in the original language meant something about being able to walk away from the past. God has made me forget all my sufferings. God has allowed me to forget all my sufferings. Now I'm sure the ability to remember was still there. We never lose that. The hardships you've been through and the hardships I've been through, like we'll never erase those from our memory. Only God can erase memory. Whatever we are of reasonable fitness, health-wise, mental-wise, the memories are always there. But he was saying, I won't let these memories impede my movement forward. I won't let these things hinder my progress toward becoming the person I know deep down God wants me to be. Because the Apostle Paul had a similar story we know, very familiar with, uh, in terms of walking away from his past. Not so much things that had been done to him, but things that he had done to others. His, His relentless pursuit of the Christian church, his criticisms, his arguments, ultimately the persecutions. He talks about his decision to just step away in the power of the Spirit, to step away from the past. In Philippians 4.13, this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me. And he had a lot to drag him back. He would have had some potential nightmares, some of the things he did. Forgetting what is behind me, I do my best to reach what is ahead. Friends, it's a decision. The past for some of us is very, very painful. And you can either linger in the past and wallow in the past or reach a point where I've paid enough in terms of mental, spiritual and physical health. I refuse to pay more. And you can actually, I've encouraged people over the years to write a note that says paid in full to list all the things that are holding you back, to list all those memories. And as part of, as a spiritual exercise, to list it and then be cross, paid in full by the blood of Jesus. I, like sometimes physical things, those involved in counselling will tell you, sometimes physical Actions can, can help reinforce the, the point that's trying to be made. Hey, here's something else about Joseph. He was resolute about living purposefully in the present. And believe it or not, this stance is reflected in the name he gives to his second son. In verse 52, he said, God has given me children in the land of my trouble. So he named his second son Ephraim. Other versions say, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He's talking about fruitfulness of children in the first instance, but also fruitfulness in terms of general blessing. But it's also a reference to the fact that this all happened in the land of his affliction. And so despite my affliction, he's saying, I've still managed to live with purpose and with meaning right here and now. I love this word resolute because it denotes perseverance. It denotes persistence, being staunch and determined, being tenacious and single-minded. Friends, it's a word that speaks about the part we play in the process of recovery from discouragement. And we have a part to play. God has a huge part to play. We have a part to play. God, through the Holy Spirit, gives us the tools and the resources we need to to step away from permanent discouragement. But we are called upon to take action ourselves. It's like Paul says in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 29, he's talking about his ministry and how he handles his ministry. And, and we know only too well that he had huge discouragements in his ministry, huge setbacks, huge disappointments. Look at what he says in verse 29 of Colossians chapter 1. He says, to get this done, and the this is the ministry, 
to get this ministry done, I toil and struggle using the mighty strength which Christ supplies and which is at work in me. What a beautiful recognition of, of the power of God, but his, his need to be tenacious and to struggle and to really keep pressing on and as an act of the, of the will. And just one more, um, Paul talks about this with uh, Timothy over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And verse 10, he says, I struggle and I work hard because I have placed my hope in the living God who is the saviour of all and especially of those who believe. I work hard. I'll bet Joseph had to work hard when his brothers came down to Egypt in search of some grain. It's in Genesis 42. There was a severe drought in the land of Canaan. All the food had gone. People were flocking to Egypt because uh, the brilliance of Joseph, had, they'd managed to store up lots of grain over the years. And so Joseph is holding down a huge job in the Egyptian government. He is in charge of the sale of all food. It's a big job, big public service job. Well, he recognises his brothers. They don't recognise him. I mean, last time I saw him, he was getting dragged out of a pit and carted off into slavery. And now he's probably wearing beautiful robes and one of those hats like, you know, Tutankhamun and something. He would have looked very, very Egyptian, walked like an Egyptian, all those, all those things. And uh, they didn't recognise him. So what a temptation it must have been for Joseph to exercise his power over these guys, throw them into prison or worse because of what they'd done to him. But, you know, Joseph's resolve to live purposefully in the present, he clearly recognised the futility of revenge and bitterness. And ultimately, there's a, there's a beautiful reunion. A whole lot of stuff happens, as you know, but ultimately, there's a beautiful reunion and a very touching scene when Joseph reveals his true identity to his brothers. This is one of the special moments of the Old Testament. It's in Genesis chapter 45. And... Uh, you do well to read some of this this week. We're just skimming over. Genesis chapter 45. Joseph gets to the point where the emotion is overwhelming and he tells his servants to leave and just leave him with these, these, uh, these men who've, who've arrived. And then in verse 4 of, of chapter 45, look at this. Joseph says, please, come closer. They did. And he said, I'm your brother, Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Can you imagine this? It was like, was this candid camera or was this like, you know? Well, do not be upset or blame yourselves because you sold me here. It was really God who sent me ahead of you to save people's lives. And then down further, verse nine. Now hurry back to my father. Tell him that this is what his son Joseph says. God has made me ruler of all Egypt. Come to me without delay. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me, you, your children, your grandchildren, your sheep, your goats, your cattle, everything else you have. Come on down. It's all forgiven. Fantastic. And then verse 15, and then weeping, he embraced each of his brothers and kissed them. After that, his brothers began to talk with him. And that's just a little sort of footnote there. You can imagine what sort of a reunion those guys would have had and all the stories they would have had to, to tell. It's all forgiven. I'm not going to live in bitterness and resentment any longer. God, we can make that choice. It's Joseph after all he'd been through. Come on down. Let's have a huge Christmas celebration this year. Let's all live together until this crisis is over. It's a fantastic reunion.
And guys, that's a perfect segue to the third and final thing we can identify in Joseph in his relationship to God. Here it is. He had a quiet but certain conviction about God's promises for the future. He knew the promises of God about the future of the nation of Israel. He was aware that he, in fact, was part of the unfolding drama. He'd already played a part and he would play an ongoing part. He knew that. And the closing chapters of Genesis are a powerful testimony to Joseph's unswerving conviction about God, the God of history and the way things were unfolding. He even tries to explain to his brothers how in a mysterious way, God's hand had been on this whole thing all along. Chapter 50 and verses 19 to, uh, to 21. Look at this. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. I can't put myself in the place of God. You plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good. Whoa, c- c- couldn't we spend a bit of time on that? There's a whole series in itself. You plotted against me, but God turned it into good. In order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what happened, you have nothing to fear. I'll take care of you and your children. Be reassured with these words. And it says the words touch their hearts. And then in the closing words of Genesis, uh, uh, Joseph rather is on his deathbed. He's on his deathbed and he reasserts his, his faith in the promises of God. Look at verse 24. He said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly take care of you and lead you out of this land to the land he solemnly promised to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Can you get the significance of that? Here he is on his deathbed. And after all he's been through, Joseph is reiterating the covenant arrangement given way back to Abraham. He knew that this was all working out to a plan had absolute confidence in the future promises of God. Friends, you and I know only too well life can be full of discouragement and disappointment and it can be heart-rending. Take some comfort from Joseph. He refused to be imprisoned by the pain of the past. He was resolute about living purposefully in the, in the present and he had a quiet conviction that God would see him through in the future. Now, that's why I love this man, because you think about it, past, present, future. They're they're the three things we've got to deal with in life. You can be held back by the past. You can make bad choices in the present. You can be terrified out of your mind and anxious and worried about the future. If you, by the power of the Spirit, can get those three areas of our lives in balance, in sync, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're talking talking there about fulfilment, maturity, joy, peace, all the things that God promises. And friends, a lot of this is a choice. A lot of this is a choice which we can make before Almighty God. Joseph did. Not easy. Not easy for Paul. Toil, struggle. Not easy. But it can be done. So where are you up to? Getting held back by the past? making bad choices in the present, anxious about the future. Joseph's got a word for you. And it's the word of God and it's good. Let's bow in prayer. Well, Father God, we thank you for the inspirational example of Joseph. What a man. Uh, Lord, with every reason to be angry and bitter and, and resentful, but a man who ultimately took all those people who'd done him harm, brought them all together for one big, wonderful reunion. And he did it as a matter of choice, not out of weakness, but out of strength. And Lord, we can take 
such encouragement from his example. May none of us linger in the hurts of the past. May we be very careful about our purpose-driven life in the present. And may we recognise that you hold the future in your hands and that future will be good because nothing will separate us from your love. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.